When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Yes, on this October 28th, Saturday morning, I am joined by Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M, answering those smart garden questions, both lawn and garden, this morning. Julie, good morning. Hey, Danny. How you doing? I'm doing well. Just trying to stay cozy. Yeah. And, uh, so far, so good. It, it was kind of an abrupt change. Yeah, to say it was the a least. little bit. 30 yeah. degrees in like 24 hours or something. But you've taken your mic on the road. I am. I'm coming to you from Zone 3 up in Minnesota, or uh, northern Minnesota. Zone 3. <laughs> now, what can you grow in Zone 3? Oh, you can grow a lot of things, especially a lot of our native plants. Uh, you just have to read the label. Uh, we even have an apple that will grow in Zone 3 called Frostbite. So one of my favorites, actually. It's a later mm. season apple, a little bit smaller than some of the more uh, popular ones, I suppose. But it's got a really unique flavor. And I tried the Triumph apple this week. Uh, picked up some at the Apple House at the Arboretum, and they're uh, they're different, but they're very very good. I don't know if any of the listeners have tried Triumph. It's one of the newer apples. No, we were waiting to try. Uh, what, what's the uh, Kudos? Oh, yep, that's going to be a few years though. Yeah, it's Triumph. been released. Uh, the plants have been released out to orchards, but they they take a few years before they produce. I don't think I've heard Triumph. What does that taste like? It's, um, you know, it, it's got kind of a hmm, cidery taste. 
I don't know if that mm. makes any sense, but <laughs> but it, that was uh, somebody tried it the other day and they said this tastes like cider. My friend Izzy did, and uh, and I thought that's a really good description. It's also got a different texture. It's it's crisp, but it's kind of a harder apple. Like you really gotta you gotta work a little bit to get a bite out of it, but. If you slice it up, it's it's absolutely delicious. Oh, that's great. I can go for some of that right now. Say so if you uh, if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, I know we're we're going to be getting. In fact, we already are getting uh, tree trimming questions, uh, okay. and uh, I'm sure we're going to be getting questions about uh, uh, dormant seeding. So any kind of a lawn or garden question, by all means, you can call it in if you like, or you can text it in six five one four six one. Nine two two six six five one four six one nine two two six. Texter says this, Julie. Can I trim my white oaks now, or should I wait until winter? We are in what's considered the lower risk time period for trimming. So the caller, the texter, is concerned about oak wilt, and uh, after November, we're in the clear. So if they want to just wait a couple more weeks just to be on the safe side. They could go ahead and, and do some trimming through the winter. And, and winter is a good time to trim all woody plants because uh, you're not spreading around fungal spores like powdery mildew, but you're also, the plants are dormant and pathogens are dormant. And so it's a, it's a safer time to do any kind of pruning. All right. Let's grab some phone calls this morning, uh, Julie. Marilyn, I believe, is uh, checking in from Little Falls, Minnesota, this morning. Marilyn, good morning. What is your question for Julie? Good morning. My question is, I have an apple crisp tree that has black spot. Now, I don't want my other apple trees to get black spot. Should I cut the honey crisp tree down? Or what's the best way to prevent it from spreading to my other apple trees? So when you say black spot, what uh, did you get a diagnosis from the plant disease clinic on that? I did from the master gardener uh, on on the extension. Okay. I'm not sure about black spot. There's apple scab. Uh, black spot is something uh, that I personally have only heard about on roses. There's there's uh, a tar spot but that's on maples so um it would have to what i would do actually is i would send a sample to the plant disease clinic and or give them a call they might ask you to send a photo or they might ask you to send a sample it does cost it's about 45 bucks i think for a for a sample to be diagnosed but you know saving a tree that's a kind of a small investment i think but um, send it to them. I have not heard of black spot on apple trees. Um, but, um, yeah, I would have it diagnosed by the plant disease clinic. All right. Thank you, Marilyn. Good luck with that. It's kind of nice to know folks are checking in with the University of Minnesota website, extension.umn.edu. Yes, yeah. yeah, and master gardeners are super helpful. Sometimes it's easier, though, to have a diagnostician look at a sample of your plant. Yeah, makes sense. Grab another phone call. Leah calling in from Eden Prairie this morning. Leah, good morning. Thanks for calling. What's your question for Julie? Good morning, Julie. Good morning. morning. I have a magnolia tree. Beautiful. It's almost two stories tall. And I looked at the U of M extension site this week because I had it pruned about two years ago. And my gardener put it back pretty severely, but it came back just beautifully. Now I'm thinking I need to have that done again. 
but the U of M Extension site did not recommend pruning at this time of year. Can I, but my gardeners say, yes, we can prune it. What's the real answer? Well, I think the website is saying not to prune it this time of year because you'll prune off flower buds for next year. So uh, it's like pruning uh, any spring blooming plant now. You're going to be pruning off flower buds for next year's flowering. But but if it's the health of the tree, if it uh, if that's what uh, you're pruning for and to for form and shape, then you may sacrifice some of the flowers. It might not be so floriferous. So. Um, that's the reason that on the website it says that. All right, very good. Looking at a text, uh, Julie, it says, thank you for the gardening show. On the website it says that. All right, very good. Looking at a text, uh, Julie, it says, thank you for the gardening show. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, mm-hmm. As this is time of the year to plant garlic, what type of garlic cloves would you recommend planting? Would healthy-looking garlic heads from the grocery store, if planted, grow in our climate? So uh, we do not really recommend growing the uh, the grocery store varieties because those are from California most of the time. They're a different kind of garlic than we grow here successfully. Uh, if you want to grow garlic in Minnesota, the best thing to do is actually purchase the cloves or purchase the, he- the bulbs from a garlic grower in Minnesota. And we have a great webpage on garlic that explains about you know, different kinds of garlic and how to plant it and how to care for it, uh, how to prepare the soil. And so you can take a look at that. It's under our vegetables webpage on Yard and Garden. So it's at extension.umn.edu. Go to vegetables and then uh, and then visit the garlic page under vegetables A to Z. i got to check that out. I've never grown yeah. uh, garlic. Is it, This is the time of year you do that? Yep, you plant it now. You plant it after a frost, so this is a good time to do that. You break the cloves off of a bulb, and you drop them in. It's just like when you're planting tulip bulbs or crocus bulbs. You plant them in the fall, and then they will uh, start to die back. About half the plant dies back in the late summer, and then you harvest your garlic uh, bulbs at that point. All right. It's a great thing to grow because it doesn't take up a lot of room. And it looks neat. You get the scapes, the flower buds in the spring. So you get a little bit of, you know, two crops, really. You get the scapes and the bulbs. Uh, You do want to plant it in different places, though, throughout your site. Like any crop, you want to rotate. You don't want to keep planting garlic in the same place because if there's any kind of a pathogen, then you may be just propagating that. Tell you what, before we take a quick break, let's grab another phone call this morning. Paul is calling in from Ogilvy, Minnesota this morning. Thank you, Paul. What is your question? Uh, Good morning. Uh, I've got a nice little asparagus patch. It's only a little four by six, but but it looks straggly as all get out. What do I do with it for the winter, and how do I fertilize it? Okay. So asparagus, yeah, a great perennial crop in our gardens. And certainly we like those early spring spears that come up. You can snap them off and throw them in your saute pan. Uh, Right now what you want to do is you want to go ahead and uh, mulch that asparagus bed. You can use some straw. You can buy a straw bale and use that. And uh, then in the spring, those little spears will start coming off. You can prune off any of the fronds that are dry brown right now, They'll or they will turn brown in the winter. Just prune them off, and then fertilize them in the spring 
when the plants start to grow. So you can use, I think, just a general uh, vegetable fertilizer, something that's going to produce um, good roots, so maybe a little bit less of the nitrogen and a little bit more of the uh, uh, maybe the phosphorus or potassium too. Again, same thing as, as the garlic question. We have a good webpage on asparagus that will help you with some of the timing of some of these things. And you can find that on our Extension Yard and Garden page at extension.umn.edu. We will remind our listeners of that very website. Hang on, Julie. We'll take this a quick break. And uh, don't forget, in a few minutes, we'll have a look at that uh, complete forecast here in the Twin Cities. For uh, right now, 29 degrees. We're on our way to near 35. Small chance of some snow later on this afternoon. Again, here in the Twin Cities, 29 degrees. From News Talk 830, this is WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO. Every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your lawn and garden questions this morning for Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Julie's answering those questions uh, today as usual. I'm looking at a variety of texts this morning, Julie. Uh, and by the way, if you want to call in, your te- you don't have to text. We'd love to hear your wonderful voice if you want to call in and talk to Julie yourself. 651-461-9226. Uh, Buckthorn question. That is growing in my bridal veil hedge, Texter says. I will have it removed next spring. Can the hedge survive this and regrow, do you think? I think so. It depends how it's removed. Um, But just getting in there, uh, they may use a tool. That's a buckthorn puller, so to speak. Uh, Those are very effective. Uh, You may lose some of the hedge, just depending on the size of the buckthorn that's in it. Because, you know, you're just pulling up a, a big root area. So that might be a little bit of a, uh, a loss. But, uh, but I think that, yeah, I think your hedge will be fine. Kind of depends on how bad it is. Okay. Wait and see now. I guess wait um, and see. Yep. Good morning. Texter says, in late fall, we planted some creeping rose plants, wondering if we should cover them with leaves for the winter. Depends on what kind of rose it is. So we have hardy shrub roses in Minnesota, which are on their own route and can easily survive the winter. If you're concerned at all, you can cover those rose, uh, the creeping roses with some uh, leaf mulch. That's great. Um, if they are in a certain area, just to protect them a little bit more, you can put a little bit of a fencing around them and, uh, and then pile the leaves inside that fencing. Okay. Uh, this listener, Julie, wants to know, how can I get rid of slugs on hostas? Love the show. Thank you. So slugs, you are, indic- yeah, slugs are indicative of uh, extra wet conditions, so conditions that are constantly wet. So uh, if you have irrigation, back off in your irrigation. You can trim up your hostas so that the leaves allow for more light to reach the soil, removing those leaves. Uh, you can use baits. That tra- and traps for slugs. You can find some of those on your garden center. Some people will recommend putting in um, a, a, a tin, a shallow tin of beer set at the surface of your soil and then the beer uh, just a little bit below that edge so that the slugs will be attracted to the beer. They'll kind of s- squiggle up to it and then they'll fall into the beer trap and drown. So that's another way of controlling them too. 
Some people will also put uh, recommend putting boards out and uh, yeah, and then flip those boards over and the slugs are attracted to that wood and you can scrape them off and get rid of them that way too. But I think it's better to change the culture of your garden and make sure you're not overwatering and then also maybe do some trimming of those hostas to uh, allow for more light and air to reach that soil. Okay, very good. Uh, this listener, Julie, said, I've heard the best time to spray for Creeping Charlie is after the first frost. Do you think today is a good time or wait until a little warmer? It would depend on what you're spraying and if there's any temperature restrictions on spraying it. So if you're using triclopyr, which is often what John recommends, our turf educator, for Creeping Charlie, and just read the bottle and see if it has any, like, don't spray it if it's colder than 40 something to that effect. So then just wait till it warms up. It sounds like we're going to have a little bit warmer temperatures coming up in the next week. Yeah, it looks like uh, by uh, Thursday, Friday, probably low to mid 40s. So <laughs> so I was there laughing you... when I, I heard you do do that, uh, the temperature, Denny, and it was, I was like, well, that sounds kind of warm. <laughs> kind of balmy. <laughs> it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Uh, I was looking at more text, but we just got another phone call. This one uh, from Rick calling from Wilmer this morning. Thank you, Rick. What is your question for Julie? Yeah, Julie, thanks for taking my question. It is, how do you store beets for winter? They seem to get soft on us all the time. Huh. Well, boy, I that mm, that is an interesting question, and I am would I think consult our webpage on beets? I don't know. I usually don't store them that long. Uh, I store them just in a plastic bag in in my uh, vegetable bin. But I don't have that many beets. If you have like a real bumper crop of beets, uh, most people I know will pickle them quickly or eat them steamed or steam them and freeze them, cube them. But uh, I'm not sure how you would store them for. I I, I guess thinking about the quantity. I know that people store carrots in sand in a cool location like a root cellar type, you know, 50 degrees or something. But And I imagine you could do that with beets too. But hmm. maybe take a look at our vegetables page on beets and see if it advises anything. I know it has information on harvesting and, and possibly storage then too. That's a good idea, but I have a feeling, as you know, Julie, mm-hmm. we have the smartest listeners yeah, somebody, somebody will come know. up with uh, <laughs> what what they found to be a successful uh, method. So we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, see if anybody uh, comes right. forward. Another lawn question. In fact, I have the same question, and I don't think uh, it's going to happen this fall. Is it too late to aerate the lawn? Yeah, probably. Um, Though the soil is still soft, and we're not ready to dormant seed at this point, we're getting there. Pretty yeah. close. Usually it's around mid-November or so. Um, I think I think you could I think you could still aerate it. This uh, listener has said uh, added to it that that they have clay soil and fine fescue grass. Okay, boy, I wish John was on. He would advise. I think you could still aerate it. I would and be. I, uh, yeah, I, if I, I had, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, especially when we just mentioned those temperatures this week. So it's right. All right. Well, good luck with that. And if you know somebody <laughs> who can do that, call me. <laughs> um, that might be thorn- the challenge, Denny, is finding somebody to do it. Isn't that true? Yeah. 
And I've I've rented them in the past, but it was like running away with me. Um, <laughs> is uh, Buck another Buckthorn a question? Uh, and then I know we're going to break for weather. If I cut them down now, is there a chemical treatment I can use effectively on the stumps? Yeah, and you actually should. That uh, you don't want to just cut buckthorn down and leave it. Uh, once you make that clean cut, you can use a uh, a brush killer. That's oftentimes what they're called, and they're a combination of usually two or three different chemicals. And you just want to dab it on the stump. You can just put it around the edge of that stump, and that will then uh, uh, move into the root area of the plant and kill the root. You might have to do it a couple times. Um, but, uh, but it's that you definitely want to treat it after you cut it. All right. Yeah. Nasty buckthorn. I'll tell you what, let's yeah. do this, Julie. Let's uh, take a break. We'll have a look at the weather. We'll find out where the abiders are playing next. If and when <laughs> we'll good. do that after the break. Uh, it's the smart garden show here on CSO 29 degrees. We'll get you the weather details coming up next here on 830 W. To the break. Uh, it's the Smart Garden Show here on CISO. 29 degrees. We'll get you the weather details coming up next here on 830 WCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. This happens to be the 28th of October, and uh, Julie Weisenhorn is with us from the U of M answering those lawn and garden questions. We had some texts early this morning, Julie, and I mentioned it. Some folks were thinking that uh, we change clocks this weekend. It's next weekend. Next weekend. a week from tomorrow. We uh, fall back to uh, standard time. A lot of folks don't like that. That's for, well, it's kind that's, of a, that's, I don't know. I don't even know why we show. keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, we've got a, a ton of text messages. You know what? We've got a phone call, too. Let's uh, take the caller first, and then we'll pick up on the text messages. Bruce calling in from Lake Crystal this morning. Bruce, what is your question? Good morning. I don't have a question. i got a tip on the beets. Oh, Excellent. what? Sure. Um, I... Pull them every year. I cut the tops off, but I leave about an inch of the top on the top of the beet. And then I do not wash the beets. I leave okay. a little bit of dirt on them, just rub off the majority part of the dirt. Don't wash them. I put them in a plastic bag after that, put them in the refrigerator, and we'll have beets in April and May. Yet. Yeah, and I was... Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. I was. I, we don't have a beets page actually, on our extension site. So I was looking at the rutabagas and turnips page, and they were saying when the when the caller uh, talked about them getting soft, they are actually drying out. And so I was thinking about that, too. I thought, well, do they should we wash them? And I, I agree, I, I wouldn't wash them. But, yeah, cut off the tops, leave a little bit of that, and then in, put them in plastic in the fridge. Yeah, I, I agree. As yeah. I said, we have such smart listeners. I know. Thank Thanks for calling yeah, with thank that Thank you, Bruce. Tip. Appreciate it. That's awesome. Listener, uh, Julie wants to have you talk a little bit of how to prepare hibiscus bush for winter. Oh, so the perennial is just, uh, hmm, I wonder if they're talking about, if it's a perennial hibiscus, you can just cut it down. And then I would protect it. I would put a fence around it or a, some fencing and then fill it with leaves or straw just to protect it uh, through the winter and to keep animals from browsing on those stems that are still above the ground. 
Uh, if it's a, a tropical hibiscus, you like any house plant, you want to check it over really well before you bring. Hopefully, hopefully you've brought it in by now because if you haven't, it's probably pretty cold for it. But um, clean it up. Uh, the leaves are going to drop off when you bring it in, a lot of them. So don't be alarmed by that. They'll re-sprout. Uh, it may be full of buds, flower buds. They tend to bloom this time of year. Just clean them up, clean up the pot. Make sure that you're not bringing in any pests with it. And if you do find any on the plant, either remove that part of the plant or um, or you can go ahead and treat the plant as well. You can cut it back as well, too. So that would be the tropical hibiscus. The other one, I think, just fence it and, and fill it with leaves just to protect it through the winter. We're getting uh, some questions, as I figured we would, about dormant seeding. This one in particular said uh, they've been spraying for creeping Charlie. And their question is, can I still do dormant seeding uh, after spraying uh, the past yes. few weeks for creeping Charlie? Yeah, you sure can. And, uh, and that dormant seeding, that seed is just going to remain dormant. It's not going to sprout. And it's, it's not going to be harmed by the spray. Uh, again, uh, dormant seeding, can I overseed now or do I need to wait until lawn freezes? What's, what, what is the best way to dormant seed and what is it? Well, dormant seeding is putting down grass seed that's appropriate for your site. So sun, part shade, full shade, whatever it is. And, uh, and putting it down at a time when the soil temperatures are too cold for that seed to germinate. And that seed lies under the snow. If you can do it right before a snowstorm, that's actually a good time. And it lies under the snow, dormant. And then in the spring, the changes in the you know warming up and the moisture that we have in the soil, they work together to help that seed to germinate in the spring. And you could wait. I, I would still wait a little bit longer um, just because I, the advice that I understand has always been November to mid-November, mm-hmm. you know, early to mid-November. And if we don't have any snow, you could still put it down after that, too. All right. Very good. Uh, This listener wants to know, can we split and transplant lilacs now? I wouldn't. uh, hmm. I don't. I wouldn't be doing any splitting and transplanting now. It's a little bit late in the season. The plant won't have any time for the roots to really get reestablished. Wait until spring or wait until after they bloom in the spring. I don't know about splitting lilacs. I, they don't really split very well. They're not like a daylily that you can divide and, and replant. Uh, I, would, I would actually opt for putting in new plants from a nursery, from a local nursery. And first of all, you get some new varieties. And second of all, uh, you'll get some fresh growth. You know, lilacs are old plants. And uh, they live a long time. So I, I don't think I, there's no splitting involved with lilacs. You don't and do I'm that. looking at the overnight lows. They're in the 20s. Yeah, it's week, too cold so. to do that now. Yeah. Anyway, All even right. if you could. Good advice. This listener planted 30 hazelnut plants last summer. Oh, 26 nice. survived. How many? Shall we protect them in some way during the winter is the question. We have chicken yeah. wire cages around each one. So how many plants survived? 26? 26, yeah. Wow, way to go. That's awesome. So the most important thing with those hazelnuts is protecting them from animal browsing. So uh, you want to cage those plants. And I don't think chicken wire is the way to go. I think you want to use something stronger than that because if you have any deer browsing, they they can knock down a chicken wire fence in no time. So you want to use either a tall hardware cloth 
or you can use a stronger tree fencing, something, something like a livestock fencing, and make it really strong, really sturdy. If you have them grouped together, you could do some small groups of the 26. You know, they might be close enough together uh, just to make it a little bit more efficient. But don't group the whole bunch of 26 because a deer can go over that fencing. So just put them in small groups. We have a web page on deer protection or protecting plants from deer. And it talks about micro enclosures, which are 16 by 16 areas made of livestock fencing that are, have proven to be good ways to protect plants, larger plants like hazelnuts and apples from deer. So take a look at that on our extension site under our trees and shrubs section. I'm going to do that very thing because the deer just thrive on our landscape. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> They'll um, eat anything once. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, by the way, here's our phone number. It also happens to be our text number, 651-461-9226. Texter says this, Julie, I have wajula bushes, <clears throat> excuse me, in a willow bush. They are extremely woody inside and a very and very large. I would like to trim them down by at least half. Uh, my wood bushes, uh, okay, this is kind of a typo here. <laughs> if not now, when, when? I don't want to lose the beautiful pink flowers I get on them in the spring. So Wygela are more summer-blooming plants, so you can take them down to the ground in the winter, and it's called coppicing, and then they will re-sprout and grow, uh, and you may have a little bit less bloom next year, but the plants will have much better form. You'll get rid of those big woody stems. So that's one option. Same with the willow shrub. I am take it that's like a arctic willow or something. You can do that as well. The other thing you could do with uh, particularly the Wygela is that you could trim out about a third of the plant, the biggest stems of that plant. So you could do that as well. Uh, again, you'd want to wait and do that in the winter, and uh, and then new growth will sprout in those areas, and that new growth will have will be a lot less woody, and uh, and then it will start to, it will also bloom too. So you can do it either way. Depends on what your objective is. All right, very good. Let's grab another phone call. Julie Sharon is calling in from Spicer this morning. Hi, Sharon. What's your question for Julie? I'm looking to choose some kind of a shrub to go in front of my porch, which faces east, and I don't want it to get too tall, just something I can look over on the porch. And I'm wondering about fruited cranberry, uh, what you think of that. Or also I've had a Carol Mackey Daphne in the past, which I loved, but I, I think it's more delicate. Okay, so this is a plant selection question, and we happen to have an excellent uh, plant database that you could access. It's on our extension site uh, under our landscaping section. It's called Plant Elements of Design. There's roughly 2,500 plants on that list, including a lot of good, uh, interesting uh, blooming shrubs that you might be interested in. I would also, what you want to do is you've already identified the direction and the light that you have. You want to also determine how much space you have for these shrubs. And in this database, you can enter in those kinds of, that kind of information about your site and the growing conditions and then click the search button, and then it will come up with any and all plants in the database that match those requirements. I would start with the most basic things, the light, the 
type of soil you have and the size of the space and the kind of shrub you want. And in this case, it sounds like you want a deciduous shrub that blooms. So look for those things and, and put those in. If you have any issues, you can uh, contact. There's a help uh, email. It actually comes to me, <laughs> and I can help you with it. But uh, that's a good source. It's a great place to start, and it helps you learn to choose plants. It helps direct kind of our thought process for choosing plants with growing requirements that match our site conditions so that they really thrive and they don't just survive. Good point. Uh, Julie, I know we have to break uh, here in a conditions so that they really thrive and they don't just survive. Good point. Uh, Julie, I know we have to break uh, here in a moment, but I wanted to ask you, uh, for those that don't know, Julie plays in a group called the Abiders. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, when's your next gig? Hey, we have got one of our biggest gigs of the year coming up. It's the Tonka Brew Fest number 10. We have played for all 10 of the Tonka Brew Fest events. This is out at Galewoods Farm in Minnetrista, Minnesota. And uh, tickets are online at TonkaBrewFest.com. This is a benefit, a fundraiser for our local Rotary, which does a ton of awesome work all over the, the uh, West Metro area and beyond. They also collaborate with other Rotaries. And it's a big event. Uh, 18 microbreweries are there. You get to taste a lot of great beer, meet some nice people, and hear the abiders play. It is next Saturday, November 4th from 3 to 6. You have next to be 21 Saturday. to come. Well, let's uh, let's remind folks uh, before you take your leave today about that very thing. So we'll, I would we'll love mention to do that. that. Mention that again. So hang on. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back with more Smart Garden. 651-461-9226. Temperature reading in the Twin Cities still 29 degrees. Stay with us. Back to our Smart Garden show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, any kind of a home improvement question you may have for Andy Lindis, we'll be fielding those on our home improvement show next hour. Julie Weisenhorn is with us from the U of M answering those lawn and garden questions. Here's another one, Julie, about houseplant right. uh, question. Uh, what if the leaves on my houseplant are sticky? Is it, is it good to spray with 8 insect control? Okay, so the house plant, we don't know what the house plant is, but the sticky leaves are usually indicative of honeydew, caused by honeydew. This is an excrement from sucking insects like aphids, for example. And uh, if that's the case, there are other reasons I suppose it could be sticky, but that's, if we're thinking about pests, that would be the uh, purpose of that. Eight is a product that is used for sucking insects. The important thing about any product is, first of all, identifying the insect. So you got to find it. Could be aphids, could be scale, could be mealybugs, uh, and you want to identify it first. We have some good tools on our extension site for identifying houseplants. In fact, there's a web page that I wrote with uh, 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 our great entomologist, Jeff Hahn, who has since retired from Extension, but it's on managing insects on indoor plants. I would take a look at that, try to find the insect first, then determine how to take care of it. And we have some recommendations on that page. Eight is just one product. There are also less impactful products and safer products to use, like uh, insecticidal soap, neem oil, horticultural oil. You can also wash the plant to get rid of insects, too. That's sometimes a, a, a great way to start. 
and uh, and then to but uh, move that plant out of the way or away from other house plants so that you're not contaminating other house plants with those pests. So take a look at that web page, managing insects on indoor plants, and it's on our extension site at extension.umn.edu, yard and garden. Go to house plants. Very good. You mentioned uh, entomologist Jeff Hahn. He's helped us out uh, for years yeah. here on CC. Yeah, I miss yeah, Jeff. Hey, guy. Jeff, no. I hope you're listening. Yeah, congrats <laughs> on the retirement. A little bit late. Um, <laughs> should I cut down, Texter says, my asparagus ferns now? Uh, I'm, hmm. I wonder if they're talking about their asparagus that's in the garden. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. I, you can leave them up through the winter. They don't hurt anything. You can cut them down in the spring. Um, they actually give you a little bit of interest in an otherwise barren landscape of snow and grayness. So a lot of people will leave them up. They turn kind of a golden color through the winter, and then you just trim them back in the spring. Your choice. Okay. Listener says, I bought a potted hydrangea tree this summer. It flowered beautifully, and I'm wondering if I plant it in the ground if it will survive our winter, if I bring it indoors, would it survive this winter? Yeah, that's kind of a prediction I, I'm not sure I can make. Yeah. Um, it depends what kind of hydrangea it is. If it's a hardy hydrangea for Minnesota, uh, yes, you can plant it outside. It's a little bit late to do that now, but you can try. Uh, if you bring it indoors, you could maybe get it to, to live through the winter indoors and put it back outside. It's going to just depend on how much light you have uh, and how much care you're willing to give it. Okay. Another question from a listener text-wise. It says, can large, a large-sized sumac be bought and planted with success? Well, there are different cultivars of sumac. There's tiger eye. Um, there's cut leaf uh, sumac, too. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I've never seen a large sumac for sale, like what's large, you know, full grown uh, over my head. Uh, or if it's a type of sumac from a greenhouse, yes, you can transplant those uh, if you buy it from a greenhouse or a nursery. There are these varieties that are available. Um, if you're going to transplant it from some place where you've dug it up, it might be more challenging because they tend to have pretty complex root systems that's, that spread and that's why they make such nice massing plants for hillsides. So um, this would definitely be something I would ask for more information on. But, um, yeah, you can transplant them from a nursery. and um, But I don't think you could dig one up and transplant it that easily. I'd go with smaller ones, to be honest. Okay. Listener heard you talking about that apple earlier in the show. What oh, apple yeah. was Julie talking about? The Triumph. Triumph, Triumph. apple. And frostbite, that's the other one that I like, too. And you found that at the Apple House, right? I did, at the Arboretum, yeah, which is open through December 20th. And uh, it's it's fabulous. Uh, I don't know if we'll have apples that long. <laughs> They're still bringing them in, though, and there's a lot of great gourds and pumpkins out there. So uh, really a, a really cool place to go. And it's uh, and over the years, they've expanded, too. Yeah, they put a big addition onto that building. Uh, lots more room, lots more products. Really, uh, they've got a freezer full of strudel and pies. Uh, Jenny and John Thule have grown over 300 varieties 
of squash and pumpkins and gourds, the North Star apple, uh, North Star cider donuts and apple cider are there. The food truck, uh, it's it's. A, I stop there. I bet weekly to get apples and just see what's going on. It's it's a pretty cool place to go. So it's out on Highway 5 and Rolling Acres Road, just across the highway from the Arboretum. So you can go to the Apple House and, of course, visit the Arboretum. The fall colors, they've blown off a little bit now, but they're still really, really amazing. Well, we, talk, we talk about the Arboretum a lot for good reason, but, but let's remind listeners, Julia, uh, how do we get there? We, we have to uh, reserve online, right? Yep. Go online at arb.umn.edu. And go ahead and make a reservation. If you're a member, you're already, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. If you're not a member, you maybe want to become a member. and uh, But you can still get a ticket, and that will get you in at a certain time. And uh, you can spend the whole day there. So there's no limit to when you have to leave or anything. It just helps uh, with parking and getting people through the gate in a timely fashion. But uh, we've got our scare, our scarecrow displays. We have a huge pumpkin and squash tree that's out there. It's out outside of the Oswald Visitor Center. And uh, also, when you visit the website, take a look at the tickets for the Northern Lights. Those are already on sale. So this is our big light show that happens starting November 16th. So get your tickets. They, they fill up fast. Um, so go ahead and do that, and that's a, I always go to that several times every year, so it's really fun to do. But right oh, now nice. it's beautiful fall. We have, Julie, less than two minutes to go on the show, and the listener wants your thoughts on this uh, question. Have our recent rains been enough to replenish the water uh, our large mature trees need? Mm. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I have been listening a lot to our meteorologists and our um, – Uh, water experts, and we are still in moderate drought in a number of areas. So uh, it's not enough to replenish it completely. We still want to be watering our woody plants, especially as long as we can until the ground freezes, if possible. So, And we should be watering them consistently throughout the entire season, the growing season. So not just don't just like dump a bunch of water on them, you know, late in the season, but next year plan to do a, you know, an even watering, consistent watering for those important plants in our landscape. But if you can keep watering, great. If you haven't turned your water off, we happen to have turned ours off at home. So we're just crossing our fingers for more moisture at this point. Yeah, I did the same thing yesterday. Yeah. Julie, we have to run. Uh, in awesome. 20 seconds or less, tell us where the abiders and when are playing. We are playing next Saturday, November 4th, 3 to 6 p.m. at the Tonka Brewfest. Tickets are available at tonkabrewfest.com. One week from today. Yeah, benefit for our West uh, Western Communities Rotary. Good, good cause. Thank yeah. you so much, Julie. Always a pleasure. Enjoy your stay where you are now, and we will <laughs> talk uh, real soon. Sounds good, Denny. Have a good weekend. You too. Julie Weisenhorn. Extension educator from the University of Minnesota. Get those home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis will be stepping into our CCO airwaves, as we used to say, uh, next hour. Right now in the Twin Cities, it's overcast. Uh, 29 is the current temp. Been that way all morning. Heading for a high near 35. Stay with us here on CCO. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.